The reading this evening is from the book of Revelation, chapter 8, beginning at the first verse. If you would like to follow it in the church Bibles, it's on page 1,239. Revelation 8, 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth, and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seven angels, who had the seven trumpets, prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burnt up, a third of the trees were burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star 
that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it, like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts look like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stings, like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had, as king over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek is Apollyon, that is, destroyer. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels, who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year, were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulphur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulphur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulphur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, 
for their tails were like snakes, having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts. This is the word of the Lord. So how are you all feeling? <laughs> ah, well, thank you, Mandy, for reading so wonderfully. Now, um, what I've got here to think about this for a moment is um, one of these. You, you can see that from here, can't you? You know what that is. It's an, an alarm clock. Now, is there anybody here who would admit to having more than one alarm clock in their bedroom? So, so Andrew does. How many do you have, Andrew? I've got two. Two? Yeah. So here we go. There's another one. I should have set these, shouldn't I? Anyone else have more than two alarm clocks in their in their bedroom? I, I guess you all use uh, use phones, don't you, to hit snooze? Well, um, I've got quite a few here. So I've got uh, another one here. One, two, three, four, five, six. I've got six alarm clocks. I was going to hide them under everybody's seats, and then they were going to go off at different times during the service to just keep you awake. Um, but these are six alarm clocks, and all we have in Revelation 8 and 9 is six alarms, six trumpets, and we have a series of, of alarms, there are, there are a series of trumpets, there are a series of alarms, um, and they are our warnings from God, okay? Uh, and they come as loud tr- trumpet blasts, did you hear that repeating uh, throughout? L- loud trumpet blasts in human history. And the big question here um, this evening, which will appear on the screen, for all of us is, is will we ignore it or will we listen to it? Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we, we read this passage and in many ways it's full of quite frightening and scary imagery. And Father, we pray that tonight we might be challenged by it, but yet we'll also be comforted by you. Uh, please help us as we go through it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, for a few weeks, um, you might recall if you've been with us, that we have uh, seen a, a pattern emerging in Revelation. We had um, six seals in chapter 6. Do you remember those? There were six seals. Uh, and uh, with the seventh seal um, in chapter 7, that was last week, And now we have six trumpets and uh, in our passage, and the seventh trumpet will come uh, next week in chapter 11. 
And uh, you'll also look, if you look ahead in, in Revelations, you'll find that there is also seven um, plagues, okay? And this number seven, okay, is actually really important for us just to take a moment to think about um, why it's there. And it stands uh, in the Bible for completion. It's, a, it's the complete number. Sometimes we talk about it being the perfect number. It's the complete number. Now, um, I want to show you this, this diagram that I've, I've uh, constructed on the screen for us. Just to, to set some say, some say um, that uh, Revelation um, relates chronologically, okay? Like, uh, like this, that we've got time going in one direction. Some view Revelation as a time of human history, at the beginning and the end. And therefore, as we look at and read Revelation, our challenge is to try and work out where we are on that continuum uh, and what phase we're up to. And as, as I say, some view that like this, uh, you will see this is not, I don't think this is actually very helpful for us. So if you think um, for a moment, if you're, you will read about um, in verse 13, for example, there's a big bit about the beast that we'll come to at later on. If you think you see that's a particular person on a timeline, um, uh, then we, and say, for example, some, you think of it as, as Hitler, okay? Some people do that. Then we must be uh, somewhere after chapter 13. If you see Revelation as a continuum, as a, okay? Um, if you think of the beast as, as, say, for example, Putin, dare I say that, then you would say we're in that chapter of Revelation now. And you might think the beast hasn't arrived and therefore we're not in that section of history or we're still waiting for that part of Revelation to happen. And so you see the difficulty as no one agrees where you are on that continuum, okay? Yet surely, Revelation is here for us to understand. God wants, it's God's word, he wants, he's revealing something, hence the word revelation. And it's meant to be understood, and it was meant to be understood by the first century, as well as we read it now in the 20th, first century. Um, The other problem... um, you'll notice as we go through, is that the end keeps coming up. The end keeps coming up as you go through Revelation. Uh, so in chapter 7 last week, we saw an ending, didn't we? Because we, we heard about the multitude, um, a great picture, a wonderful picture of the glory, the great multitude, a picture of absolute safety of where God is. Surely that therefore happens, doesn't it, at the end of that timeline? Yet now, we've just read in chapter 8 and 9, we're back into uh, war and plagues and, and great evil. So before we get, um, and we'll get, we will get another end as well coming up uh, next week. So how does this fit together? And I, I am pausing for us just to take a moment to think about this, because I think this is really important for us to get in place as we move forward through Revelation You see, those who take this kind of chronological view, the linear view, um, finish up saying that chapter 7 does happen in a particular moment, in a particular time. Okay? Um, When all God's people are suddenly taken up 
you might have heard of it being called the rapture. Have you heard of that? It's made um, popular uh, in uh, the, the Left Behind series, a fictional series written um, by somebody in America. While the rest of human uh, humanity is left behind, hence the series is called Left Behind, uh, of which then the earth carries on to its eventual doom. But if all from chapter 8 onwards happens after, every Christian has been taken up to heaven, why does God bother then to tell us all about chapter 8 onwards anyway? <laughs> it's a good question, isn't it? And more importantly, I think this is really importantly important for us, is that the Bible makes it very clear that when Jesus comes again, when he returns, everyone is going to know about it. You are going to know about it if Jesus returns. It's not going to happen in secret, in private. Everyone will know. Now, you might ask, why am I, why am I telling you all this? You think, oh, it's hard enough, this passage. Why am I telling you all this background? Well, you might hear um, lots of weird and wonderful ideas about Revelation. But secondly, it's important for us to understand how to read this and then how we approach chapters like 8 and 9. So these um, sequences of seven that appear in Revelation are best seen not as linear like this, but as the next diagram will show, as parallel, happening in parallel with each other, um, describing human history, seven trumpets on the same history as the seven plagues and the seven seals. Okay, It's a bit like... Um, when you get the action replays in a sporting event. You know that idea? So you get the main view, uh, and then they'll show you a replay of the same events, and then they'll show you another angle. And hap- it's, it's the same events, but they're showing you it in parallel. Okay? That's what's happening here in Revelation, to give us a, a fuller view, a fuller picture fuller picture of what's happening. The same events are here. Uh, And uh, what the Bible describes actually as the last days, the the last bit of animation, Edmund, that'd be great. Thank you. Hopefully it'll be the last days. The whole period of history from the moment that Jesus came first and uh, ascended to the point in which he will then return. We are in that period. That is the last days. And so when these six trumpets are called, these are alarm clocks going off in human history, in human time. They are warnings for whether you're in the first century, the second century, the 10th century, the 11th century, the 21st century. If God willing, there's a 23rd century They are warnings. Until, of course, the seventh seal is opened and the seventh trumpet is sounded. When it will be complete, time will end. The Lord will return. When there will be a great division, God's people with him forever, and yet those who are separated from him forever. Six alarms, six, series of six. Who needs more than six alarms? 
Well, uh, <laughs> Andrew does. Yeah. <laughs> Two. So the message here, okay, the big message here is, is a, a message of the fact we need to wake up. And once you get that picture in place of what's going on, you know, I think it makes the understanding of the passage a lot more straightforward. So firstly, um, let's look at these, uh, there's, there's three sections broadly, and let's look at them in turn. The first one in chapter 8 is the alarm call of natural disaster, and, and Andrew mentioned it briefly already. The four trumpets that sound in quick succession, and you can read about them there, and they inflict disaster on the four basic aspects of nature, land, sea, uh, water, fresh water, and sky. And you remember, these are happening in the last days, and therefore they're happening, and they have happened right through history, haven't they? We, we know this because we've already, we hear, don't we, the blasts of those trumpets through, through our history. Whether it's volcanoes erupting, whether it's tsunamis, whether it's forest fires, whether it's landslides, whether it's ice melting, whether it's hurricanes, whether it's uh, monsoons, tornadoes, whatever it is, these have been occurring and they will continue to occur in history until the seventh trumpet sounds. But notice here, they have a limit. They do have limits. No more than a third of the land, the sea, the water, or the sky. Again, it's not, we're not meant to understand this as a literal amount. Again, it's not a literal amount, but it is saying it's limited. And this is what we see, isn't it? These trumpets sound the end, but they don't bring the end. That's a good way of describing it, isn't it? They sound the end, but they don't bring the end. They may be terrible. They are terrible. They are awful. But every time one hits, it's an alarm going off. Wake up. Of course, natural disasters make us sometimes question the existence of God. How can God allow this? How can a good God allow this? And John wants to understand, actually, it's the exact opposite. These are signs that God is just. If you look at the beginning of chapter 8, and uh, we had uh, alluded to earlier in verse 2, it gives us the trumpet angels under, his, under God's control. And in verse 3, it talks about them with the, the prayers of God's people. What are the prayers of God's people? We heard it earlier in our passage in chapter 6, where, where, they, where it says, How long, sovereign Lord, how holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth? And they were told to wait a little longer. This is the cry, isn't it? The prayers of, of justice that, Lord, will you bring this to an end? Why do you keep allowing it? Don't you care? Do something. Show us. Show us your justice. And so verse 5, the angel took the censer filled with, with fire, representing the prayers, and hurled it on the earth. And there were peals, peals of thunder, rumbling, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. It's all picture actually, of God's judgment. He is a just God, and he is going to come and put things right. Now, look around at the trumpets of natural disaster, and we're to listen to the call, and actually realize that is actually how much God, um, much I care. It's not going to go on and on. This does show 
that he, he, is, he disapproves of, of human sin and human evil in the world. Now, we have to be careful with that as well. We have to be careful not to say and not to misunderstand that. It's not saying that those who are victims of natural disaster are somehow more sinful, more wicked. It's not what it's saying. In fact, if you, in uh, Jesus, um, Jesus in Luke 13 speaks about a natural disaster that happens uh, when a tower falls on 18 people um, in Siloam and kills them. And he's asked about that and he says, Jesus says to them, do you think they were more guilty than all the other others living in Jerusalem? This is Luke 13. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. It's a stark warning, isn't it? It's the alarm bells of natural disasters going off, telling us to wake up, turn to God, and trust in his son Jesus, because that is ultimately the only safe place to be. So that's the first one. The second one is the alarm call of pain. It's not going to get better, I'm afraid. It will at the end. Don't worry. What he describes here is horrific. Horrific locusts. Um, Part lion, part horse, part scorpion. And they're released from the abyss, which is hell, by Satan himself, given the name here Apollyon in Greek, which means the destroyer. And again, what, what is the picture telling us? It's a picture telling us something about the evil one as well here, isn't it? And it's the ability of him to f- inflict pain. It's a horrific um, image of demonic evil. The evil one has always been about inflicting pain throughout history. Unlike real locusts, they don't consume vegetation, but people. Verse 4, they were told not to harm the grass or the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them. It's pretty stark, isn't it? Dreadful pain unleashed, but not on those who are our gods, those who are sealed by God, those who, who, who know the Lord Jesus and are trusting in him. Only those who do not know the Lord's experience this kind of pain. Those who remain in rebellion against God, those who belong to the God of this world, the devil. Now again, what is this picture trying to, to tell us? What's it trying to show us? It's trying to, to convey to us what a world is like without God, isn't it? What it is like to be without God. And a world without God is a world full of pain, isn't it? That's what it is. As I was trying to think of it, about this, um, many, uh, who, many who, who do not realize this, uh, who are not Christians, um, uh, they, rather like, it's rather like them, um, if you like, wearing a mask, isn't it? Uh, and, um, uh, and it, you know, it, we, they live in the world, we live in the world, we have a mask on, with a smiley face on. 
Um, but behind the smile that we put on to face the world is, is, uh, is the, the picture of Edward Munch's scream. Uh, and the pain is of wrestling with a world without God. A meaningless, purpose, purposefulness-less, purposeless, okay, get the word right, existence. As Jean-Paul Sartre said, here we sit, all of us, eating and drinking, to preserve our precious existence, and really there is nothing, nothing, absolutely no reason for existence. And you see, in a world like that, where you do not sealed by God, you live in a world of pain. And so many people in this world are not willing to admit that. Scream underneath the, the smiley outward exterior. The kind of existential angst as some people describe it. Screaming inside for something real. The scream of guilt without anyone to forgive them. The scream of lostness without anyone to find them. The scream of nausea with no one to treat them. That is pain, isn't it? The pain that the devil inflicts. Yes, you can see this picture as a physical pain, but I think there is a deeper pain, isn't there? A pain without God in your life. A pain of asking, who am I? Why am I here? What am I doing? Where do I belong? And we see so much of it in this world, don't we? A pain inflicted by the evil one. A smile on the outside, but screaming on the inside. And the evil one comes, and he is a destroyer. He just comes to cause pain and to destroy people. This kind of pain comes from the pit of hell itself. Yet we do read, it is subject to the sovereignty of God. He sends out his angel to sound the alarms. And in this we sense God's displeasure against human sin and evil. But there's also, there is a loving warning in this, isn't it? You think about pain, you think about physical pain for a moment. We know we need physical pain so that we don't get burnt. We don't just put our hand into the fire. Ow! You've got to take it out again. You've got to do something with it. You've got to, got to get out of that situation. It alerts us to danger. The fact that something was wrong, that it requires a response to seek treatment. And spiritual pain has that function too, to point us to the need of God, that we desperately need him. We need his good news. We need his love. That we need to turn to him, to that he will receive us. He will treat us. He will show us his love that's found in Jesus Christ. You know, there's a lot of pain out there, isn't there, in this world? And I was thinking about the pain of the, the woman at the well. You know, the pain she had to go through, through, through being ostracized, being uh, um, kept out of society, the, social, the pain of social isolation. She had a longing and a thirst for something real, something deep, and someone to bring meaning into her life, and Jesus rocks up and he does exactly that, doesn't he? He gives her 
living water that heals her pain. And that's a wonderful thing that Jesus does. And he offers people. And so the alarm is going off. The call of pain is to wake up and discover true meaning and purpose. That forgiveness and love is found in him. And then uh, finally, the alarm call of death. Just as you think it's going to get, it's going to get better. The alarm call of death. The angel sounds the sixth trumpet and we read about an army with a license to kill where a third of humans. It's another awful picture. It really is. The head of a lion with, a, with fire, smoke, tail swishing to destroy. And you see it even sweeping away whole nations in this passage at the end of chapter 9. And as you think back, you can you think back, if we're, we're realistic, we know that this is what's happened in human history, isn't it? Think back over two world wars. Haven't we seen this kind of devastation? You only have to go to every town, every village, every church, and you'll see those. Those list after list of people who've died. Along comes an army with a devastating impact. Oh, how we long for the seventh trumpet. And I'm afraid we're not going to get to the fully to the seventh trumpet until next week. But we don't just see it in, in, in terms of, of the, the, the call of, of death through war. We saw it on 9-11. We saw it on 7-7. We saw it in Paris at the Bataclan. And sometimes we have no words to describe these things. The picture is one of humanity's helplessness in the face of death and destruction, whether it's a marauding army or yet another U.S. school shooting or whether it's the knife crime in southeast London. Help us to stop it. The sixth trumpet sounds and it sounds where death is found. There's an army coming and I put this really, I know this is, <laughs> as I say this, it's hard to say. There is an army coming for each of us. And it's called death. Whether it's on the field of battle, or whether it's in the, field, whether it's in the streets of London, or if it's even in the hospital late at night with a loved one with us. The trumpet of death brings us close to our our mortality. And God wants us to, to think about that. And so often we don't think about it, do we? We don't want to think about death. But we must. What? Where is the good news? You're hoping for some good news, aren't you? Well, the Bible tells us, doesn't it, that death was never meant to be. Death was never meant to be. God is the, the source of all life. As we turned away from him, what we are doing is we're turning away from him who is the source of life and actually we're embracing death. Physical and spiritually separated from him. The trumpet six sounds, the alarms go off and it's a call for us to think. It's a call for us to think. To think about the one who conquered death, isn't it? Think about him, who alone has defeated the grave. 
Who was it that went to a house, to a distraught family, um, mourning the death of a girl, who, who, despite everyone saying, no, it's too late, don't bother, bother now, um, Jesus, it's too late. Instead, he insisted, and he went in, and in Aramaic, he said to Letha Coombe, get up, little girl. That is good news, isn't it? That's wonderful news. What a moment that must have been. Or think for a moment about Jesus as he goes to the house of his friend Lazarus, who has died. But again, he insists on going. Everyone says, don't bother him, it's going to smell, isn't it? He's been dead many days. Yet he goes in the tomb and he speaks, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man comes out. That is good news. Then as Jesus himself faces death on the cross. Now think about this. Jesus chooses the cross. You know, death comes to us, doesn't it, by naturally. But Jesus chooses death. He chooses it. He heads right for it, and he goes right after it, because he's going to defeat it. This is why I've come, he says. I'm coming, I'm going for it, I'm coming after death. I'm going to do away with it. He came and died for us. He went after this picture that we see in Revelation 8 and 9. And he's he's going to finish it. He's going to take upon himself the judgment of God for sin and rebellion. So we don't need to face it. So you don't need to face it. He went into the abyss so that you won't go into the abyss. That is good news. I almost want a hallelujah. Because it is good news. We've been down in eight and nine. Come on, let's let's get excited about that. Because it's the truth of the gospel. He takes it upon himself. He came and died for us, for you and me, to take upon himself the death that we deserve. The physical and spiritual death we deserve. He took it upon himself. The resurrection is the great declaration of victory. He finished death itself. He conquered the grave. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Every day, every day, a trumpet call, an alarm goes off for us to think about our mortality and to put our trust in Jesus Christ. So there we have it. That's Revelation 8 and 9. Six alarm clocks placed across history. Are we going to turn over and go back to sleep? Pretend nothing happens? Or are we going to wake up and listen? And tell a desperate world, a world that is in pain, and they don't even know they're in pain. But they are in pain because they have a face mask on. But in deep inside, there's a scream going on. They need it. We have it. We should share it. God is love. And God is just. The Bible's very clear about it. He's loving and he's a God of just. And in these trumpet calls, we hear the sound of justice. He cares about wrongdoing. He cares about evil. He is not indifferent to it. 
Yet it is a great sign of his love too, because he wants people, he's desperate for us to turn to him. Please listen to the warning. Repent before the final trumpet sounds. Do it tonight if you've not already done it. The final alarm goes off and the new creation comes, which will be a glorious day for those who have the seal upon their heads. Where there will be no mourning, no more mourning, no more death, no more pain for those who've trusted the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our God, our Father, this is such a challenging passage to us and yet we know it is here for us. You've given us your word. And we pray that tonight we may hear it and receive it. We may hear the warning, the wake-up calls, the alarm calls. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who's not trusted in the Lord Jesus, that they might do it now. That they may repent and turn to you and trust in Jesus. That they may have that seal upon their heads. The knowledge that they're safe with you. And Father, I pray that you will help us as we look at the world, not to, to sort of um, go around as if, um, as if these things aren't happening around us. Help us to care enough to want to see others come to know the Lord Jesus and to know his victory, to know his love, to know his justice, to know he's the one that we need. We ask this in your precious name, the Lord Jesus. Amen.